Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab Podcast episode number 10 for Monday, April 13th, 2015, the show where you get two working weekend warrior musicians talking to other weekend warrior musicians and anybody else who wants to listen here today in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Dave Hamilton. And this is Paul Kent talking to you from Las Gatas, California. We're in the same time zone, Paul. Yeah, that's kind of funny. That doesn't happen too often. No, it's the first time for this show. And so we're actually, through the miracle of mobile technology, you're actually recording this from a hotel room in Vegas, huh? That's correct. Yeah, I'm out here for uh, NAB and the NMX show, which are happening, well, I I wouldn't say separately, but simultaneously on top of each other intentionally, which is a little weird, but, you know, it's all right. It's all good. This this podcast stuff is really fantastic i'm enjoying doing this show with you but just the whole um packaging of the technology and how you can really do it anywhere at any time is it's really pretty cool it is pretty cool yeah yeah it's um yeah yeah i I was actually at a session today that's somewhat relevant i guess because it was talking about podcasting and it was you know that the the point of the session was uh, should we keep calling this podcasting or should we just call these audio shows which is you know whole other whole yeah. other conversation but so the the history is that you know it was when when the iPod first came out right well it was when the iPod first came out and then the the thing that defines a podcast as a podcast which gets far geekier than most people would ever even know let alone care about is that it is um episodic content that is delivered with RSS as the the glue that holds it all together Right. So each of our episodes is listed in an RSS feed, and that's what iTunes or whatever you use to subscribe to this show connects to. And again, we're now far geekier than than we ever intended to get. But that is the definition of a podcast. But really, the answer is who cares what it takes to get it to you? Obviously, you care that it gets to you, but you don't really care to learn about, you know, just like few people cared to learn about how the airwave was worked. That's true. Right? I I will, I will, I'll never forget, absolutely, I'll, I'll never forget when Steve Jobs said that podcasting was the most interesting thing going on in radio, and he was absolutely right. Yep. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And here we are. And here we are, 10 years later. All right, so I was thinking tonight we would start the first of many, 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 many conversations about gear. A fun one. It is. So I was thinking, uh, let's start here. When you go to auditions or when you have auditioned other people, have you ever specifically specified must have pro gear? Um, I have certainly gone on auditions where people say you must have pro gear. Uh, I don't know that I've ever... I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever specified that, but it's certainly something that's in the subtext of what you're looking for. Uh, and, and and in gear, I always count the person's car. How did they get to the audition, right? Because if they're in some kind of jalopy that might not have gotten them there, that factors into whether or not they were going to make it to gigs. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing because, you know, you, we get to a certain station in life, you just assume – you assume people have transportation and but actually it's not necessarily true and there's a lot of guys i think you know a lot of guys who are kind of testing the waters 
about whether music can actually be a career for them that uh, and you know it's hard going and uh, yeah. and so people don't always have the means but I, it has always surprised me like i'm 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 entirely flabbergasted that that uh, people have to specify have pro gear but i'm also delighted when a guy comes in with his acts of choice whatever off brand or brand it might have been and he plays the hell out of it i mean right. at the end of the day it's the chops not the gear right well, it's it's the yeah, but it's also the it's the personality and everything else. I mean, but the gear matters, but it it doesn't matter as much. Um, I guess I, I guess beyond a a minimum, it doesn't matter. Yeah, beyond a minimum, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. All right, so so let's talk about drums for a while. So okay, uh, how many kits do you have? Two and a half. How do you have a half a kit? Well, I have. Uh, the kit that I play out with live, which is, and we can go as deep into this as we want, but I'll just kind of give the overview, which is an, an Eames kit, which is a custom made kit um, that never gets, well, rarely gets set up at my house. It's always broken down in cases, ready to go. And then in my studio, I have uh, an old Ludwig kit that I've had forever. And it was at one point a double bass drum kit. So, I can piece together kind of half a kit out of that. And depending on what I'm doing, I can sometimes have my gigging kit and my practice kit in the studio and then sort of half a kit somewhere else if it needs to be. Are your two kits the exact same configuration, same number of drums? No, no. My my gigging kit is a uh, six-piece, four toms, uh, obviously uh, snare and, and kick drum. And my practice kit typically is set up as a four-piece. Two times kick snare, yeah. And is has this been your configuration forever? Um, certainly for since nineteen ninety seven when I got this Eames kit that I have. Yeah. So not being a drummer, it, just an observation. It seems like there's a trend towards these really really small kits. You know, like one one rack tom, one floor tom, and a snare. Yeah. Kick right. Yeah, that's it, that's my rehearsal kit. That's right. Yeah, but but why why wouldn't you gig with it? Um, I could. It's the the. It's not what I would consider pro gear. I mean, I guess it is, or it was at one point. I would if I was going to gig with this kit, and I have at times if if I needed to transport things in a uh, smaller vehicle or something. Uh, but you know, some of the the tom the tom mounts aren't quite up to snuff and so the tom might might sag a little bit here or there and it requires some more on the on the fly adjustment that i don't want to have to deal with at a gig you know um, yeah yeah so i mean they're, they're, the drums sound fine but stands and that sort of thing are not it's sort of cobbled together of you know old stuff yeah yeah, yeah. it's where it's where hardware goes to die all right so give me dave's dave's gestalt of of what a drum kit needs to sound like, you know, in order to be pleasing to your ear. What do you like in drums? Wow, um, I I am a big fan of birch for uh, toms, and the reason is birch gives you a really clear tone. Um, it typically, I, and there's other woods out there, lots of other woods, but uh, kind of the the traditional woods are pretty much birch or maple. And and then you've got like poplar and stuff on the on kind of lower end, but uh, maple's going to give you a real hard attack and lots of like overtones. They're very bombastic drums. 
actually works very well for kick drums uh, and snare, depending on how intense you need the volume. But uh, in terms of toms, I really like them to sing out. And so I like birch drums because they, they give you a real strong fundamental and um, and you don't have to hit them all that hard and, and you get a, a nice tone out of them. So yeah. Um, yeah, so birch toms for sure. Yeah. And so your your kit is actually of mixed woods? No, my, my kit is all birch. Uh, it's all made by the same guy. Uh, like I said, it's the, the brand is Eames, E-A-M-E-S. Uh, I, I found, well, I guess I found out about him when I was at the University of Connecticut. The guy's out of Massachusetts, but when I ordered the kit, I was actually in Texas. But um, it, they're, they're great drums. Uh, he, he does a great job cutting. A, a, a big part of the sound of a drum is how the bearing edge is cut. The, that is the angle of the edge where the, you know, where the head goes. And if it's too flat, the, the drum can be not as resonant because the head doesn't get to move as much. And so, and, and if the bearing edge isn't flat, you can have kind of problems with that too. But, um, but Joe does a, Joe McSweeney is the guy at Eames drums and he does a yeah. great, great job cutting those bearing edges. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And y- your uh, philosophy on this is this is your drum kit. It's very personalized to the way you like to sound, regardless of the genre of music that you're going to play. You wouldn't, you wouldn't ever like you have, you have multiple kits, but you don't conceive it as needing, needing multiple, like, like I know guys who have a jazz kit and a rock kit or, a, you know, a big band kit and a rock kit, that type of thing. No, this, this is definitely my rock kit. Um, and it would work for like rock and and fusion kind of stuff. I certainly can and have played jazz on it, but when I've done gigs that um, when I have my druthers, I actually take my practice kit to jazz gigs. It's a little lower volume. Uh, there, it's actually uh, it's it's a blend of of poplar and maple, but um, it, it gets a slightly warmer tone, uh, which is good at lower volume or volume volumes. volumes. <laughs> all right, all right, we're back. Sorry about that. Go ahead, it, re- resume. I'm on this weird travel setup, so it's all good. All right, so here's my biggest question. My um, my preference, it, it, the thing I hear most in different jump kits is the snare, and my preference is for something that's more of a more of a pop sound than a snap sound. Does that description resonate with you? Mean anything to you? Yeah. So you're looking for something that's that's not. Like a, a piccolo snare, for example, is not your preference. Something yeah. s- not too high endy. Yeah, something that you know, like a like a marching band snare, is a very snappy sound to me. Yeah, right. Yep. I like to hear on, on I like to hear on on my on my snare hits. You know, a, a much richer, more resonant type of tone. Is that a wood issue? Is that a, a tack issue? Is that a brand issue? What, what what really characterizes that? Yeah, so I'll use different snares for different gigs, and really it depends on the room. I oh every gig I play, I bring at least two snare drums with me, um, and and it and a lot of times it it depends on the room. But as far as the difference between the kind of tinny, you know, Stuart Copeland high end snare and kind of a throatier, you know, Chris Layton sort of, you know, double trouble kind of, you know, beefy snare drum. It can be the material. And of course, wood is one material that snare drums are made out of, but metal is another. And uh, you probably would prefer a metal drum, even though that sounds counterintuitive. We always think of metal as, you know, uh, harsher. Yeah. Yeah. That's not the case when it comes to snare drums. 
Um, yeah, wood is actually the thing that gives you that that higher crack, whereas metal is is going to give you a slightly warmer uh, tone. And that's where, in, in fact, I'm I'm currently in the market sniffing around looking for a good brass snare, and I'll probably wind up with a Ludwig Black Beauty because I'm yeah. Gonna, so I like I might um, as well have one. Yeah, like Charlie Watts and and Max Weinberg. So I think Max plays a DW kit. Yeah. I don't know what Charlie Charlie has been with the same. He's been endorsing a certain drum for a long, long time, right? I think he's I think he's a Gretsch player. If I have to pull off the top of my head after not sleeping for a couple of days, but I'm pretty sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, so that would be the tone I want. Something that's very, very rich, and it just seems to you know not only in my band it cuts through. Now Joe uses a Mapex kit, which sounds really awesome, but um, it cuts through the horns. Uh, and it just sets a nice groove for for the band to lay on top of. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, and, right. So some of it is the construction of the drum, and and certainly a shallower drum is going to have a higher fundamental than a, a much deeper drum would. Right. You know, you go with a three inch snare versus a six or seven inch snare, and, and I'm talking about depth, not width. Snares are typically 14 inches wide, or diameter, I should say. Uh, some piccolos are 13 and of course you can get custom snares that are 12 and whatever, but, um, but typically you're looking at a 14 inch drum and, and the depth of it can make a difference. Um, the tuning of it makes a huge difference. You can, you know, I, the, the snare that I kind of call my, my standby is, is from this same guy and it's actually 14 plies of, of birch, sorry, 24 plies of birch which is massively thick, but again, he cuts the bearing edges really, really well. So it can be really sensitive and I can crank it way up if I want or, or tune it down. And, and it really, and, and so that depends on, on the, the room and, and the band that I'm playing with and all of that, but also there's an attack thing to it, right? You know, how much of the rim are you including in every backbeat? Um, you know, are you, are you playing the middle of the drum? Are you playing kind of off center of the drum where you're going to get a little more, um, uh, of the the ring out of the drum right if you hit the drum dead center typically you're going to get a lot less ring it'll be a deader sound if you hit it right in the middle versus a little bit off center you get a little bit of the ring and a little bit more presence out of it so yeah. it can it can it can have a lot to do with the player yeah yeah it's really interesting to me um very much like a, a guitarist so i i once saw an interview with um brian setzer and he was saying he had a chance to pick up Stevie Ray Vaughan's guitar and play it. And he thought he was going to sound more like Stevie Ray Vaughan. And he was like, no, I still kind of sound like me, which is, was really interesting. But I guess, um, did you see, uh, standing in the shadows of Motown? No, I have not. Oh my gosh. You got to see it. So the three guys who were the funk brothers, uh, drummers over various periods of time or availability. Yep. The subtle differences in what they did. And, and you know, this one guy, the one guy was demonstrating the differences in the three, the styles, very, very subtle. But then you hear these beats from these these famous songs, and you absolutely know that that was a unique style of drumming. And so a lot of it is in your hands, isn't it? Totally. I, I read a, an interview or a Q&A, I guess, with Bill Bruford, and uh, it was in Modern Drummer. And this was, a, I don't know, a couple of decades ago. And somebody was asking him about uh, how he mic'd, which ride symbol he used for a specific recording you know, and how he mic'd it because, wow, you know, I really like the sound you got out of it. And Bill said, you know, I don't remember that specific recording, but I think it was this type of symbol. And my guess is we used these certain types of microphones. He, and, he, and then he, you know, he, he said, and this was written, but it was sort of in this very polite but cheeky British way of saying, uh, but 
it doesn't really matter because really it's all in our hands. Yeah. Yeah. And he's right. It, you know, it, it, it really doesn't matter so much of it. And that's true about, like you said, about guitar tone and uh, really any instrument that you, I mean, which is any instrument that you play with your hands. You're, Absolutely. You're going to, you're going to impact it. It's, it's, yeah, it's it the subtlest of things your attack. Yeah. Your time, you know, it's the subtlest things that makes the biggest difference. Right. How about sticks? Are you picky about sticks? Oh, I'm crazy picky about sticks. I Well, they're I, in your hands. They're, they're, they're your, that's like a guitar pick for you, right? It's an extension of my hand. Yeah. And uh, I found a stick years ago that I really, really liked made by a company called Capello, which is out of business now. It had, uh, there was a long and actually very fascinating story that I keep hearing bits and pieces of as it as it sort of materializes, but they've been out of business for a while. I was actually, um, I had an endorsement deal with them, which, uh, that's actually a whole, that's something we should talk about too. Uh, they, uh, where I was buying sticks at, at cost essentially from them. And I bought the last set of these, this particular model from them and then found a guy just a couple of years ago, local to me that would, uh, replicate this very stick. I gave him one and, and he replicated it cause I was running out. But, um, but yeah, I'm I'm very particular. You have to be. It yeah. you know, it's yeah. They've got to be balanced right in the hand and they've got to be the right thickness, you know, and the right weight. Uh but but even like I said beyond weight, the balance is is huge. I I need I need so that when I hold the stick the way I like to hold it, it's not, you know, leaning one way versus another. I need it, you know, balanced perfectly for me. So, yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. So, yeah. I'm I'm picky about guitar picks and I um I went through a period one time where I, you know, I wanted to try something different. And so I bought five or six picks of different manufacturers and different weights, roughly the same, but, you know, all around a medium pick. And I found one that I really liked and I played a gig with it and I really, really liked it. It made a huge difference to me. It had a little bit of a different grip to it and, you know, a few different characteristics. But the weight and the flexibility of the pick was just exactly right for my style of playing. And I'm playing a gig. Gig is really going great. And after the gig... I dropped the pick somewhere and I couldn't find it. And so the guys are tearing down. I'm on my hands and knees looking for this pick. <laughs> the guys are busting my chops like it's a pick. It's 25 cents. Well, a dollar now. But, you know, go get another pick. And I was like, I don't remember what it was. Yeah. You know, I have to find this pick. And so uh, I, I was the butt of several jokes for quite a long time because they thought I was being cheap that I was trying to save one pick from, right. uh, from being missed. Right. Yeah. No, it's important, man. And I, you know, it's funny. I've used the, the, the sticks that I use. I, you know, when I was a kid, I've, I've been using them since I was a kid and bought some and then, uh, and then, you know, migrated to other stuff or whatever and used other sticks for a long time. And then found a pair of these in a drawer and I pulled it out and it was like, oh, you know, the heavens opened up. I can't do it because my throat's shot from being at a trade show. But, you know, the heavens opened up and was like, oh, this is perfect for my hands. So, yeah, I get it. Uh, yeah, I would crawl around on the floor for these two. Yeah. Now, we have our, our mutual friend Dan East down in Florida. Hi, Dan. Yeah. Hey, Dan. And uh, Dan uh, seems to be endorsing. He's a great drummer. He seems to be endorsing a lot of interesting uh, accoutrements that uh, make drummers – uh, better, louder, all these different things. So he has this one thing that's um, a boost that you put under your stool. He's also endorsing this one thing that um, goes in the in the sound hole of your of your kick drum. What are, what is your thoughts on these um, kind of accessorizing things for drummers? Yeah, totally. So Kickport, it, Dan turned me on to that, which is a a thing that goes into the you know if you've cut a hole in the the head of your kick drum. Um, it, you you put this port in there and it 
I mean, it's a very simple thing. It, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just a little port. It goes in maybe four inches into the drum, but it's similar to the bass port that you'd have in a, a you know pair of bookshelf speakers. And it makes a huge difference. It it really lowers the fundamental of the drum, uh, or the effective fundamental, I should say, uh, of the drum from when you're when you're miking it, or even just when you're hearing it out of that port, because the sound gets focused and and comes out that way. So what does that what does that mean? Fundamental of the drum? Oh, the the note, right? I mean, the the fundamental is the kind of the the root note of of the the drum. With 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 drums with any instrument, but with drums especially, you get a lot of overtones, right? But but whatever that lowest note that the drum produces is 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 what's called the fundamental. Yeah, got it. Yep, yep. All right. No, so, the kick port, this, kick port's awesome. Yep, that's cool. What about this rumble seat thing? So uh, the rumble seat makes a lot of well, the rumble seat be, is is targeted towards drummers that use in ear. Uh, monitors, right? So where you, you don't have a wedge next to you. And drum monitors are an interesting, the, the mix of a drummer's monitor is an interesting thing because a lot of drummers really like to hear their own kick drum back in the monitor. Yeah. And, uh, and, and really what you like to hear is a lot of the low end of the kick drum in your monitor. Or if you're playing on a, a wooden stage where the subs are underneath it, maybe you don't need it because, you know, if it, it you can really feel that. And it's a, it's a powerful thing, right? And and it's it once you get used to that, you feel like your kick drum isn't doing anything if you don't feel that that thump of the stage moving every time you hit your kick drum. And so that's what that rumble seat's for is to to uh t- it basically is a subwoofer that attaches to your stool and instead of making sound it just shakes your 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 butt. Yeah. And uh and and it sort of approximates that without without also shaking the stage. I've never tried one of those. Um, for years, I never had kick drum in my monitor, so it, it I, 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 I didn't really follow that path. So uh, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. What other things do you add? Is your kind of your toy chest for uh, for for your drums? Well, um, I'm trying to think. I, you know, I I keep it pretty simple. Um, I, you know, I have uh, a couple of crash cymbals and a ride and a hi hat. Uh, in terms of toys, I, I do put a cowbell up because I play enough songs where I'm playing either part of the cowbell and part of the groove or, or whatever. But, um, in terms of that kind of stuff, I, I, I like to play with a rack. Um, it, but some racks are too big, but, uh, the benefit of a rack is twofold. Number one, set up. And tear down is much faster. It's heavier usually to cart a rack in and out, but it takes a lot less time to set it up and you get stuff in place easier and more consistently. Uh, I, it, this is hard to explain to non-drummers, but I the, the way I explain it to someone like you, a guitar player, is I'd say imagine if you had to, as you got to the gig, had to reset the action on your guitar every time. Yeah. And it's always going to be a, at least a little bit different, right? And and that's what it's like setting up a, a, a set of drums. Now, uh, you know, a rack where you've got, you know, things preset and all that, it can really narrow down the, the delta from one gig to the next. And it makes a huge difference to have your, you know, the middle of your toms where you expect the middle to be, the, your cymbals to be where you expect them to be or where your hands know them to be. So, um so that's 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 a big part of it, and I use in ear monitors. Um, 
So that's that's another you know kind of toy in my setup for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you use wired in ears or wireless I, in ears? I typically I have both. I, I have a wireless setup, but I, I you know behind the drums I don't move. So I I'm just as happy, in fact, happier using wired for two reasons: a the signal is always better than a, a wireless thing, and b um, it's one less battery to deal with. Yeah, yeah, because I'm, I'm I'm wired in. So, so you you and I have had this discussion for many years about about uh, in ear monitors, mm-hmm. and uh, you were you turned me on to them. I knew it was something I wanted to try, and so let's spend a little time talking about this. For me, it's just taken a really really long time to get the feel of that isolation, regardless of all of the tactics. So, a you know uh, we use we use the ultimate ears that have the port knit. Yeah, a little bit better. A little, you know, having yeah. a little, you know, an audience mic. A little. It's still a weird thing that takes a really, really, really long time. Especially, you know, I, I I interact with the band and I interact with the audience quite a bit when I'm performing. So it took me a long time. But those shining moments along the path, when you realize what an amazing tool it is for saving your voice and for you know the subtleties in your singing, it's it's uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I don't think I could ever go back to not using one uh, on a full-time basis now that I've gotten used to it. Yeah. I um, So it, it's a little different for me for two reasons. Number one, I'm not a guitar player. I feel like guitar players are it have the worst hurdle to overcome moving to in-ears because you're used to hearing your guitar in the air, right? And, and, and that's a different sound than you're going to get with your guitar mic'd and in your ears directly, right? Um, yep. and, but it, the other thing is I grew up, I've always worn earplugs when I played, I read an interview with, um, Alex Van Halen when I was just starting to play the drums, like 14 years old. And he said he had lost 60% of his hearing in his left ear and 30% in his right. And I thought, holy cow, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. You know, I want to have my hearing. And so I always wear earplugs. So that that separation, that isolation is something that's that's normal to me. And when I moved to in-ears, it was like, wow, this this is like it actually opened up my world as opposed to closing it. Interesting. Um, yeah. But it, I will say that it even still, you know, we played a gig Friday night. I, I struggle with keeping my ears in while I'm singing, especially singing leads. That's the hardest part for me is um, – and I'm not sure why that is, uh, but I, I actually did it on Friday night. I, I, I made a goal. Uh, I'm going to keep my ears in all night. And I had a good, uh, m- uh, what I call an ambient mic behind me to just, it, it doesn't go in the mains. It's just for my ears. And it just gives me enough of that kind of stage wash to make me feel like I'm not inside my head when I'm singing. And, uh, and it worked out. And it's great because not only do you save your voice – and get to do all those interesting things vocally, but you also save your ears. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What I find is, or you can save your ears. You can also turn them up far too loud, you you know, and that's, that's the hard thing for a lot of people that are moving, you know, for me, like I said, I was going earplugs to in ears. So I was used to having low volume levels uh, at a gig, but if you're used to hearing, you know, vocals screaming at you out of a, a monitor wedge or, you know, your guitar or whatever screaming at you, you can certainly get right up to those same SPL levels in your ears. You you have to learn to turn it down. And that's a whole yeah, different absolutely. thing. Yep. It is. 
I actually find that it, uh, it's hard to keep the right mix over the course of a night. Things get louder even in your ears. So, you know, the band, as the adrenaline starts going, starts hitting a little harder. Um, and some, you know, especially with guitars, lots of settings on guitars, invariably someone on, someone on stage, you know, may all of a sudden pop out as being a lot, a lot louder all of a sudden. So yeah. it's not perfect. And the other thing that's kind of interesting is if you've, if you've done like a, a full set with them, and then you take them out just to kind of feel what's going on out in the world. Yeah. And the, and the band is grooving and the energy is on. It's hard to put them back in once you're kind of feeling the band acoustically again as opposed totally. to just through your in-ears. So it is, uh, uh, it, it's different. You know, when, when touring professionals with full-time monitor sound guys are writing these things for you, it's, it's, a, it's a different thing. But, you know, for us, uh, you know, on the weekend where we're mixing ourselves or, you know, or we've got, you know, small quarters or a whole bunch of different variables that are different from a, a pristine environment, in-ears are a bit of a mixed bag. But overall, uh, they've made a huge difference now that I've finally gotten my hands around them. Yeah, it, it even for me, and again, I probably had the easiest potential path towards them, right? I, I was playing with earplugs. I'm a drummer, right? I mean, it, it was all pretty much laid out for me. And I started with high-end in-ears, right? I, I Because of what I do during the day with Mac Observer, I was able to get all kinds of custom-fitted things made for me. So, I mean, I had the perfect path laid out, and it still took me a year before I was comfortable. And I, I, I have to go back and thank my bandmates at the time for putting up with all the crap I put them through because I'm sure they hated me. But yeah, Absolutely. yeah. What a lot of people, there was a, um, uh, you, to your point about there being, you know, when you've got a monitor engineer, there's a great uh, thing, you know, I'm a, I'm a rush fan and I, I watched a, uh, this whole, I guess it was called backstage series or something. It was basically the day in a life of a rush show. And it, it was one from the lighting guy, one from front of house, one from, uh, there was like four different angles. And one of them was the monitor engineer and they have different settings for different sections of every song for each guy on stage. Like, you know, okay, for the beginning of this song, the drummer wants to hear guitar, but once we get to bar four, the guitar comes out and, you know, I want this and that and the other thing. And it's changing constantly for these guys throughout the night. Um, like you said, you and I, we don't, uh, we don't get, we don't that. get that benefit. No, no we don't no, get that. No. We could, we could, it would cost us a fortune to do our gigs. We'd lose money every time. Well, I'll tell you, we, we've been using this Prasanas uh, mixing board mm -hmm. that, that allows, um, you just set up basically a Wi-Fi network, and not only does it allow the front of house guy to go out into the house and mix you from an iPad or an iPhone, but it also allows him to give individual musicians control over their own mix. And I have three guys in my band that are taking advantage of that, and they really, really, really like it. Yeah, it you know, and that is that whole. I mean, that's probably worth a whole other episode, but um, but we 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 can and and obviously should get into it. Uh, that is an attainable thing, even for a a modest working cover band or or any kind of band. Uh, as long as you're earning a little bit of money, you know the the I think the Presona stuff is a little. You, you're probably looking at what twenty five hundred bucks for that board. Is that right? Yeah, we have the sixteen. Uh, no, the twenty four channel board. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, and you can do it. And it, obviously, like you said, it works great. It for even less money for less than a thousand bucks. You can get the Mackie uh, DL1608, I think is what it is. It's the DL1604 or 1608. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll look it up. Um, 
and and that you you slide an iPad into, so it has no control surface of its own. But uh, it's got you know sixteen inputs and six aux sends, and then two uh, main sends, which is typically enough for most bands. And you can pair them together if you want to do a stereo mix for for monitors or or what have you. And uh, and it's you know well within reach. And there's two things about the, all those digital boards, like you said, you get this infinite control where guys can control themselves on stage, and and you can do all kinds of stuff. But you also get to save your settings. And yeah. it, I think that makes a huge difference. It, you know, it, there, it certainly once you get things set up, and we've talked a little bit about this, you know, you can save the e- the overall EQ for a room, and that's okay. But things are always in a slightly different spot, even when you come back to the same room. But where where saving settings really makes a difference is things like uh, microphone, like the gain structure of of any given microphone, a vocal mic or a you know a, a, a horn mic in your case. Sure. Right. You know, I would never run compression and uh, any kind of side chain stuff on on a vocal mic doing the sound ourselves at a gig. But when I can set it up ahead of time and I know that that guy is using that same mic every gig, well, that's easy. I use the same compression, the same limiter, right? This, the, all the same gating, all that stuff. It, although gating, I wouldn't necessarily do on a vocal mic, but you might do it on another thing. And you don't have to, uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel at the beginning of every gig. You get to start off with that, and it makes a huge yes. difference. Yeah. So my, uh, I have the Mackie board as well. Okay. And um, so my top level impression of them is the Mackie board is a, a really nice piece of hardware and, and a lot less money but it requires a little bit more knowledge of sound the software is a little a little harder to work with you really have to understand how to how to deal with eq graphs and you know limiting points and all those type of stuff whereas the presets on the personas are really really good and you you know there it, it you can get you can get a pretty remarkable set of uh, of uh, effects on on any type of instrument uh you know with the push of a button Interesting. so that that's yeah. Huh. Yeah. I've I've always been a sound geek, so I, the Mackie thing was it, it it felt pretty natural to me. But but and I totally Mackie see what you're is, saying. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Mackie software is great for sound geeks because you can play till your heart's content, and all that is there as well. You know, a layer deeper right. on the personas. But uh, like I said, to get to get some pretty remarkable um, fine touches to the mix of any kind of instrument, including all drums. Um, you know, it's just a, it's a tap away and it's, it's really cool. Oh, that makes a difference. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I never thought about the Mackie as being a high learning curve, but it, but of course it is. Yeah. But they're, they're both great pieces of hardware. Yep. So I, I'm happy. I use them in, you know, I use the, the 24 channel board with, uh, with, uh, with the big band and I use the eight channel board when I go to like rehearsals with small acoustic bands. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, it all works good. And so you, you, know, you have the eight channel Mackie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because they've got a 16, which is what we use, and then now they've even got a 32. Yeah. So, no, yeah. This, this stuff is just going so fast. I think Line 6 came out with like a, a new – they're trying to change the paradigm of mixing, but I don't think it did very well. Um, did, did you see that one? I think it was – might have been last year's name yeah. or the year before. And they were – it was trying to do like a very visual um, – it was almost it was almost oversimplified – uh, interfaces to doing mixes, and I don't think it—I don't think it flied very well. I think the 
that the sound system that came out with the hardware is doing pretty well, but I think they missed it on the software, and I don't think it, it got very very good reviews at all. Okay. Yeah. I know QSC either just came out or, or has one coming out that's a similar kind of you know remote-controllable digital board for the working musician. Yeah, it's the future. I wonder when the totally. prices will go down. It'll be interesting to see if the pricing will go down. Yeah, I mean, right now, like I said, it's about a thousand bucks. I think the QSC one is just a little over a thousand, but you don't need an iPad with it. Whereas the Mackie one, you know, in the sixteen channel version, is like you can get it for like nine eight ninety nine or whatever. But you need to add um, an iPad to it so that obviously yeah. has some cost. Yeah, a couple things with the personas. You know, they they talk about doing a bandless sound check where basically the sound guy can save a mix and just basically play that in order to ring out a room, mm. which, which it sounds right in theory, but I have a sneaking suspicion. It's not quite that easy. I think that works really well in an arena uh, where the set, sa- well, where the sound of the instruments from the stage is all but inconsequential. Yeah. You know, but, but in a typical club, you're doing sound reinforcement with the with the you know with your PA, but yeah. certainly the the guitars and the drums on stage are a huge factor in the sound in the room. So yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you're you're most sound guys are fighting that sound coming off the stage, right? You or at at best working with it. Whereas you know if you're doing a big rock show in an arena with twenty thousand you know seats, well, okay, yeah, you can hear the snare drum if nothing else is happening uh, in the room, but you know it's not it's not going to get in your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, but I, I think these digital these digital consoles are here to stay. They're they're getting better functionality all the time. The, it'll be interesting when the price comes down. I mean, the quality is great. I mean, you know, it's still great hardware. Um, um, you know, mic inputs and, you know, the, it, the quality of, of the sound comes in. Oh, another good thing about the Personas is very, very easy. I guess it's also the Mackie. Very, very, very easy to record your shows. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very easy. Yeah. Yep. The Mackie, the 8 and 16 channel will only do a two channel recording of your show. Now, ah. you can you can take with the new software for the Mackie, you can take that two channel from the main if you want or you can do a separate mix just for the recording and and route that you know to the recording. Whereas I th- I think your your personas will let you do a multi track, right? Yeah, it actually you can plug your your computer into the board via FireWire and you're getting all sixteen, twenty four, you know whatever number of tracks. Yeah. So and that's that's really cool. That's huge. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you can do that with the Mackie thirty two, but not with the eight or the sixteen. Yeah, got it. But still, like you said, I mean, think about go back five years and say you can do this in a working cover band in a in a way that's economical, and we would have laughed at each other. Yep, yep. It's awesome. It's pretty good. All right. So before we before we go here, we've talked about my gear, we've talked about our sound gear, but what about your guitar gear? How often Man. does how often does that change? Well. <laughs> So I think we need a whole episode to talk about guitars because I'm sure we got a lot of guitarists out there that are listening. All right, well, maybe maybe we do it next time. But go ahead, give us the overview. Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, um, I love guitars, and and I've got at least one of of many models. I got some Strats. I got I play a Telecaster. It's kind of my day in and day out guitar. I've got a couple of Rickenbackers because I love that jangly sound. I've got a couple of Les Pauls when I feel like I have not done enough weightlifting recently <laughs> and I want to <laughs> strengthen my lower back. 
Uh, I love guitars. I love the craftsmanship of guitars. I love the unique feel of them. I'm, and and I, I play every one of the guitars that I own at some point in time. But Telecasters work for me uh, in a very non-technical sense. It's a, it's a plank of wood with some strings on it. And I'm a very aggressive guitar player. Um, I'm a very, I would consider myself a reasonably aggressive performer. And um, I need something that's going to be lightweight, that has got a, a really great clean and natural tone to it. It's an, a non-affected tone. Like I, I like what strats sound like, but strats have a very unique t- tone to me. They a sound like strats. Yeah, they do. Telecasters are kind of a neutral tone to me. And, um, um, but they're just, they feel right in my hands. I think they look cool. They wear really cool. Um, you, you know, as you, as you season them, the way that they age and the way that they, um, kind of vintageize themselves, I think is really cool as well. And so Strat, uh, excuse me, Telecasters to me is, is the ultimate performing guitar. That, that's the last guitar that will be in my hands when they finally have to pry one out of my hands. Uh-huh. But, uh, but I, I, you know, I, I love the tones of different guitars. I love the place and time for the thickness of a Les Paul is a really interesting thing. Um, I've got a couple of, well, I, I guess, uh, I've got a Baker, which was a, a Fender Custom Shop guy, which is an amazing blues guitar. I think Robin Ford plays a Baker or played a Baker. Um, I have a Gretsch 6120. We were doing a bunch of Brian Setzer big wow. band stuff, and, and uh, it cuts through really interestingly. Like I said, I have, I have, uh, I have those Rickenbackers. It's so fun to play Tom Petty music through a Rickenbacker. It just sounds so right. Uh, you know, a lot of that jangly stuff, some Beatles stuff just sounds unusually perfect when you play it through a Rick. And so just the, you know, this is the guitar thing. You're a sick person if you play guitar because you have signed yourself up for the never ending quest of that tone that you heard on that record. You're always after some tone nirvana. It starts in your fingers. It goes through the guitar. You know, I, I need seven episodes to talk about my travails with different types of amps and finding amps that work at appropriate volumes in the places that we play. And But um, I think it's a great conversation to have. Hopefully, some people out there will hear this and we'll start getting some more mail that I can uh, kind of talk to the guitar players out there about a wide variety of things. But um, I, I would I would love I mean, obviously, I've played with guitar players my, my whole life and i i play guitar but i electric is something that doesn't interest me largely because i already have an instrument that requires me to assemble other people to play um <laughs> with the drums right so you know when i started learning how to play guitar a couple of years ago uh i i basically stuck with acoustic because i it, it lets me you know i can play and sing and and that's really all i cared to do but i you know i this whole concept of the different I certainly hear the different tones of electric guitars and 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 like you said, I mean the the sound of a Rick versus the sound of a strat. But I you know, I would I would love to have that conversation about that tone nirvana because I I I feel like and I this isn't you and I haven't played together enough that I would even know your tone, to be honest. I mean we've played you know, we used to play once a year. Hopefully we will play again. But uh it, you know, I've I've seen guitar players go through this and a lot of times the tone where they sound the best to my ears and pretty much to you know most people's ears is oftentimes the tone or is not often the tone where they think they sound the best and uh, and so i'm what what i would be curious is 
do you think that even those guitar players that you hear, you know, that tone on the record and, oh, wow, that's it. Do you think the guitar player that played it was actually happy with that tone at that point in time? And yeah, my, my guess I, I is the answer is no. Yeah, I don't know that any guitar players are ever happy with their tone. It's, right. it's, it's a journey for sure. But, you know, your guitar player, you know instantly when you hear Clapton. You know instantly when you hear Hendrix. You know instantly when you hear Stevie Ray. Yeah. You know instantly when you hear, you know, go on down the list of, of, yep. of the great guitar players. And as we said before, it's, it's 90% in the fingers. And then that other 10% is this incredibly unwieldy mix of the pick, the strings, the, you know, the, the weight of the strings, the guitar, the pickups, the cable, the the patch cords, the the uh, stomp boxes, and the amp, and there's so many variables, and it's a good it's a good episode, and I yeah. think we should we'll tackle it sometime soon. I, but before we go to. today, yeah, yeah. we got a, a kind of a cool uh, email from a, a listener named John Gunn. He says he loves the podcast. Keep it going. He's a totally blind keyboard player using Pro Tools, uh, and he uses Audio Hijack. He recorded a Fool in Love, which he sent to us. Uh, and it actually sounds really cool. He was being kind of hard on himself. He uses some virtual instruments to create some of the other sounds. But um, I, was I wish John? I had prepped it uh, on the road. It's a little. I'm I'm not in my normal element. I wish I could play a snippet of it. Uh, we'll play it on another show so that yeah, everybody let's, can, let's play know. it next week if we yeah, can. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So anyway, John, thanks for it. And anybody out there, please send us your stuff. Yeah. Send us questions. Send us comments on the podcast. If you want to send us some sound bites, you know, we'd love to hear them and we'll put them on the show as well. Yeah, we'll play them. And if I had had more time, I probably could have prepped it here on the road. Too. We'll get it. Yep. We get it. That's a nice thing. There's always next week, right? There is always next week. And uh, that's a perfect place to wrap it up. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everybody, for All listening. Right. All hey, right. Dave, enjoy Las Vegas. Safe travels. Thanks.